MSW Media. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations. Hi there, I'm Jeff Stein, and this is Spy Talk. It's been a hell of a month, hasn't it? With all the bad news out of Israel and Ukraine this week, not to mention Washington, you may have missed, as I did initially in my morning doom scrolling, an unnerving story from the cyber war front. Chinese military hackers, the Washington Post reported, have been quietly infiltrating American infrastructure. A water utility in Hawaii, a big port on the West Coast, and at least one oil and gas pipeline, the story said, with the idea of lying in wait until orders come from Beijing to create chaos and panic here when hostilities break out between the U.S. and China. The hackers have slithered into similar infrastructures of U.S. allies abroad, the paper said. To break all this down and add up what it means, my guest today is the co-author of that post story, Ellen Nakashima, a prize-winning national security and intelligence reporter at the Washington Post. Let me tell you something about her. The day I arrived to work at the Post in 2010, an editor introducing me around nodded towards Ellen's desk, where she was intensely working the phones, and whispered, she's relentless. Indeed, Nakashima's been a member of three Pulitzer-winning teams at the Post, including in 2022 for an investigation of the January 6th assault on the Capitol, in 2018 for digging into Moscow's efforts to influence the 2016 election, and in 2018 for exploring the hidden scope of digital surveillance by the National Security Agency. It's no surprise that Ellen Nakashima piloted this major story on Chinese infiltration of our critical infrastructure. Ellen Nakashima, welcome to Spy Talk. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I admired your work for so many years, uh, going back to when we were colleagues at the Washington Post a dozen years ago. Anyway, you and your Washington Post colleague, Joseph Men wrote a story a couple of days ago that appeared with a rather startling headline, China's cyber army is invading critical U.S. services. You went on to write, as officials told you, the intrusions are part of a broader effort to develop ways to sow panic and chaos or snarl logistics in the event of a U.S.-China conflict in the Pacific. Well, break that down for us, will you? Yeah, hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It is uh, indeed good to be with you as uh being back in the kind of in the room with you as we were once over a decade ago together. So our story here is to raise awareness about a fairly stealthy campaign the Chinese military has been have been doing in the cyber world, where they are penetrating companies that are either in the area of critical infrastructure or adjacent. You know, they're in somewhere in the supply chain that uh, serves power, water, 
ports, logistics, things like that. Uh, you wrote specifically among the victims are a water utility in Hawaii, a major West Coast port, and at least one oil and gas pipeline. Hmm. That's right. As well as some electric utilities in other countries outside the U.S. Now, there have has been no indication that any of these intrusions has resulted in a an actual disruption or you know stoppage of water or power but the point is that the US government including the intelligence agencies have determined that China is seeking ways developing ways to be able to disrupt these critical services if they should be directed to in the event of a conflict one day. Not that they are definitively going to do so, or they have a plan to do so right now, but they want to be able to, to want to be capable of doing so should the need arise. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the message. I think you described uh, this technique or this campaign, uh, attributing it to a U.S. official as they've shifted from espionage, I mean, it's not that they've abandoned espionage in the United States, That's but right. they've shifted in this particular campaign, which is codenamed Volt Typhoon, that they've shifted in this case from espionage to a kind of lurking, almost a guerrilla kind of war where they get into place ready to spring up should a conflict break out. Right. China is still engaging in massive espionage, cyber espionage, and, and commercial espionage, and uh, the, the the sort of foreign intelligence service, their equivalent of the CIA, the MSS, is, is conducting uh, broad espionage uh, efforts against the U.S. and other countries. But here, what what's sort of new or what the U.S. government has come to assess only within the last year or so, is that the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, the military side of the house, those hackers have been intruding into critical infrastructure targets and entities, not for military intelligence purposes, but to be able to, if they ever should need to or want to, potentially disrupt these systems to create an atmosphere of fear, doubt, panic, kind of like you remember what happened with Colonial Pipeline uh, oh, a yeah. years ago. Mm. That was the Russians, but when that pipeline, that gas pipeline, was was disrupted, it created huge, long lines of you know gas lines on the East Coast, and fears that there would be all sorts of of, of, of disruptions, and that is the sort of fear and panic that people think could happen. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, turning out the lights, turning off the heat, turning off all the energy supplies uh, would definitely throw the country into panic beyond just long gas lines. We're talking about, as you said, uh, creating panic and chaos. Um, remind me of the Colonial Pipeline deal. Did Was that definitively pinned on a particular adversary? It was China or Russia? It was Russia. Yeah, and and the ir irony was, I don't think that it was a, a a Russian 
government effort to necessarily cause disruption because the uh, it was a ransomware attack and and it could have mm-hmm. been more opportunistic and then the hackers uh, got into what we call the IT or administrative side of the uh, colonial pipelines networks not their actual industrial control operational side that moves the gas however out of an abundance of caution colonial shut down their pipeline and that's what caused all of the 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 the, the snarls and the dis, you know the, the dislocations and the disruptions and so you saw the potential impact of uh of such a, an, a cyber attack, you know, on on a critical infrastructure sector, and that's what rose what raised ransomware attacks to the level of a potential na- of national security. Up until that point, the U.S. government looked at ransomware as much more of a sort of criminal commercial issue that was hurting businesses, and to be sure, you know, schools and hospitals, but it hadn't risen to the level of of a national security event that got the attention of the president, President Biden. He raised it with Vladimir Putin when they met in Geneva that summer. I'm not sure if it was your reporting or not. I think it was, excuse mm-hmm. me, uh, for that lapse. But did you not report that that Biden did not bring up this uh, Volt Typhoon campaign uh, when he met with President Xi Jinping in Yeah, in that's right. That's right. What do you make of that? Well, I make of that that they had a long four-hour meeting. Of course, that also includes translation time, interpretation time. But there was a long list of items that they had to get through, and um, and and this one just didn't sort of make it up into into the into the conversation mix. But cyber has always been something that uh, the two sides, you know, that's been an issue between the two sides for years. Yeah, I mean, it's been going on for uh, ages. I for want sure. to get back to that question mm-hmm. uh, momentarily. But in, 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 the, in the case of Volt Typhoon, the code mm-hmm. name for this campaign, uh, do you know, do you have an idea of how long the Chinese were in these utilities, gas companies, electric companies, and so on, uh, before mm-hmm. they were detected? So I, my understanding is in these cases, and we we said that there have been about two dozen identified in the U.S. Uh, in, over the last year. And in, I think, all of the cases, they've been uh, remediated. The actor, the, the, the Chinese, have been kicked out. So the, the issue is to detect it, right? Yeah, detection is a big, big problem. <laughs> I mean, we don't know how long they've been sleeping in our networks. Uh, I mean, it's very hard to tr- track down, and often you track back could be years before it was detected. Um, the, one of my questions, of course, is that how come this keeps happening with our utilities, and it's not just the Chinese, as you illuminated in your recent reporting this week. But we've seen Iranian hackers, Russian hackers, uh, have I left out anybody, uh, in our systems, in our utility systems. Why? At this point, I mean, you've been reporting on this longer than I have, but I know I got into it, oh, I don't know, 15 or more years, right after 9-11 when this became a big issue. Right. So (laughs) what's the problem, Ellen? (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, fundamentally, uh, cybersecurity is is reactive, and and you can never 
you know, predicting what what new tricks attackers will come up with in the future is hard to do well, and hard to do, hard to do well, and and almost impossible to do perfectly. And so, you know, for instance, in this case, there the sort of novelish technique they used was to go in through uh, innocuous seeming devices like routers right? Home or office routers. Mm-hmm. And there's no security software to check for penetrations into routers. So having, you know, perfect cybersecurity is almost impossible to do. And that is why there's also a growing awareness of the need to focus on, on resilience, on mi- mitigation, recovery, resilience. And that is to say, you know, you can't expect to always to keep out the attacker every time, but you can hope to get to, to, to learn, to understand, to be able to detect when, once the attacker is entered as soon as possible so that you can uh, quickly isolate, maybe take your network offline or isolate from the rest of the network, find a way to kick the attacker out, maybe by, in this case, you know, resetting your credentials, your passwords and logins, doing mass resets, whatever it is that you need to do to kick them out. But And then have resilience, backup systems, uh, redundant systems, so that you can continue to operate your, your network uh, or your critical service, whatever it is. You can't just think, oh, the, you're going to try to prevent uh, an intrusion or an attack every, every time. Do you have a feeling whether this is a sort of a covert guerrilla war going on where, or, or you can just educate me? Is this like some sort of video game where we see them in our systems and, and we send up our fighters, our cyber bots to, to fight it out with them? Do you have any idea what that's yeah, like? This is, this is a steady state, uh, you know, warfare really it's it's nation state attackers china whether they're chinese or russian are just incredibly persistent and motivated and will continue to do what they're doing i mean part of it is they're spying right um, we talked earlier about espionage political espionage commercial espionage countries are going to spy they're going to spy on each other no matter what you do they're going to continue to spy we spy on other countries they spy on us um in terms of this sort of activity, which is newer, it's part of it's part of the Chinese military doctrine to blend or integrate what they call information warfare into their their suite of of weapons or tools that they can mm-hmm. use in the event of conflict, or or to also what they call project power or to coerce or to influence, and that includes not just disruption but also influence operations, you know, using bots, fake accounts to try to shape narratives. We have to step away for a second. We'll be back in a minute. Okay, we're back now. Speaking of which, you wrote about that not too long ago. Uh, about DOD's clandestine operations, right. uh, creating <laughs> fake accounts on Facebook and TikTok and elsewhere. I, 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 I'm not sure of all the social media where they did this, but they created all these fake accounts to try to do influence operations, you know, yeah. to fake people into thinking this and that. Uh, and you wrote about how <laughs> this was largely shut down because right. one, it 
questions of legality and to, uh, you know, invasion of privacy and so on. And, and I think another issue is whether it was effective or not. And, and it wasn't. Turned out, uh, you know, at least according to researchers who are tracking the impact, they, they, these accounts gained very little traction. And the actual covert, you know, openly DOD affiliated accounts seem to get more followers and more views and more clicks. So I also just reported recently, uh, maybe last week, that the um, Pentagon, the commands, and largely Cyber com- uh, Central Command was the sort of the main CENTCOM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, CENTCOM had uh, they deleted dozens and dozens of these fake uh, accounts, and uh, now whenever they want to do a covert or they'd say clandestine uh, influence operation online, they need to get sign off from the senior officials at DOD, CIA, and the State Department before they. Lead. So is, those- is this because our, we're overcautious uh, based on you know constitutional concerns, but we're just jittery, or is it attributed also to the Biden administration being jittery and cautious? I, yeah, I think it's a combination of of caution and in also you know how effective is this really? If it's not, if the juice isn't going to be really worth the squeeze, why uh, mm-hmm. you know? why put something out there that could backfire or undermine your own credibility? Because if it's not done well and you put out these accounts and you make them, you think you're pretending to be the Afghan villager or the Iranian dissident. And then it turns out, Oh, you know, people realize it's DOD that only hurts your cause. Cause mm-hmm. you're going to say, yeah, you see this, it's all D it's always DOD or they'll say CIA and you undermine your message. Our our adversaries, particularly Russia, China, and Iran, they don't have to worry about pesky reporters digging up this stuff and exposing it. So uh, that's one thing that no, they get. We only have the Navalny's. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was a particular case. Poor, poor Mr. Navalny. God knows where he is right now. But putting aside that, that's one advantage they have that they don't have to worry too much about their methods being exposed. The reporting over the years seems to be that the Chinese and the Russians are really good at this. Are they much better at this than than us? At what? Which part of the Influ- the part? Uh, well, there's two parts. One, uh-huh. I'd like to think that we're in our second generation, at least now, of gamers. And actually, if you go back to Pokemon, you know, <laughs> in the seventies, uh, we're uh, fifty years into gaming and so on. But I'm really talking about video game, you know, advanced stuff. The kind of stuff that Jack Deshera was doing. Um, <laughs> and it, we're really good at this. We're a nation of young gamers. Uh, uh, and I'd like to think that we actually have an advantage in this realm of covert cyber warfare. What, what do you think? I think you should separate the technical from the psychological. And, and when it comes to influence operations writ large, in general... They're often hard to carry out, and especially at scale. And if you look, uh, especially you know the ad with the advent of online influence operations, uh, which which burst onto the scene in the U.S. It's always been there in the in, it's been there in Europe for a lot longer, but in the U.S. with in 2016 when the Russians you know hacked the DNC and released a bunch of emails and they tried to do things on Facebook and Twitter, a lot of that actually I think did not have as much uh, gain or, or impact as 
as people expect as people thought as was ascribed to them i think their their uh effectiveness was uh overhyped greatly you know sort of exaggerated um are you talking particularly of the russian yes uh, i am russian intrusions in the 2016 elections and as trump partisans often point out show me one vote that was changed because of a russian operation it's very hard to measure Right, exactly. It may not, you know, what it was was they they leveraged pre-existing fissures in the society, but but um there was so much domestic misinformation, disinformation and vitriol going back and forth. You barely you didn't really need the Russians to try to hmm. create all that chaos. It was here hmm. already. And so um, it just lit a fire, yeah. Yeah, now now the Russians uh, influence operations just generally have more, more purchase. They gain more purchase in their own near abroad, their their neck of the woods, in, amongst Russian speakers, uh, either domestically or in, you know, countries hmm. of the former Soviet Union. That's where their information and influence operations will just be be more effective. I mean, it, okay. it comes off as more organic, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, and and those are really the ones who they want to to try to influence to keep in their sphere same with china their influence ops are often directed primarily at their diaspora or their chinese speakers and that's where they tend to also have more uh you know more effectiveness mm-hmm. so let's talk to the talk about the other side of it the kind of things that you've just reported on what the chinese are doing to us getting inside our utilities and so on laying uh, laying low there for the moment when we're going to have conflict do you have a feeling for how good we are at penetrating chinese utilities banks um airport (laughs) airport systems i think there's a lot of um hype there too I, my, from hmm. my reporting, I have seen no evidence. I have no reason to believe that the U.S. is going into civilian electric grids in Russia or China uh, to potentially disrupt. In fact, I know, you know, fact that that they didn't do that in Russia. It and I. I Why can, not? <laughs> well, because it's just not the what what the the U.S. do. They they more focused on okay military command and control systems that's those are key and legitimate targets uh i don't think for instance they they are going into civilian water systems uh to to try to be able to disrupt i mean that would just not be in keeping with what i think you talked about earlier about uh caution there are tons of lawyers, right? At cyber, mm-hmm. NSA, CIA, and in the intelligence agencies, and they're off forever looking at what is, um, you know, sort of proportionate and legitimate and discriminate in terms of targeting, including in cyber. And the government, the U.S. government, has also been working on international norms, and they've been they're behind this norm that targeting. Uh, civilian critical infrastructure is a no-no hmm. is there we have too many lawyers in the in the machinery there lawyers diplomats i mean it's like you know they 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 there there are norms that doesn't mean that they're not looking um you know that they don't have uh very active espionage campaigns going on i mean 
the NSA is, you know, some of the. Absolutely. <laughs> you you know that. And, uh, you know, the Israelis, according to published reports, uh, recruited an Iranian to put a thumb drive or whatever into various systems that they have uh, to destabilize their uh, n- nuclear program mm-hmm. and also to steal uh, records, their vaults uh, of what uh, they recorded what they had been doing themselves. Um, so I, I would like to think uh, that, you know, a top priority of U.S. intelligence is to recruit uh, a Chinese scientist uh, or someone in the woodwork to yeah. put a thumb drive or whatever the technique in uh, Chinese networks so we can start uh, collecting information uh, for espionage purposes so we know what's going on there and also for potential disruption uh, operations. Yeah, and then those sorts of bespoke ops are much more the province of the CIA, right? And, you know, it's been reported how uh, um, much the network of agents and assets they had in China was decimated. Yeah. And uh, building it back up is painstaking and tough. Can't imagine a harder target than than China, even harder than than Russia for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. In any event, let's circle back to your current reporting about Chinese penetration here. You wrote that the Biden administration has taken several steps to, for, let's say, force water and energy systems to adopt cybersecurity rules. Um, uh, you wrote three states sued the administration, charging regulatory overreach. So now uh, the agency, in this case the EPA, uh, must rely on states to report their threats voluntarily. That sounds like a mess to me. I mean, if you're trying to get some sort of coherent defense right. policy against these intrusions. Right. And I mean, and, and all that was, too, was... Um uh, redoing reporting on the, their public water audits. So, you know, it, the effort to institute mandatory rules, regulations, is, is only uh, sort of proceeding in fits and starts. Uh, when when Colonial Pipeline happened, that gave the effort a huge boost because all of a sudden everyone was really – uh, on edge and scared and say, oh my God, this could happen to me. And and that also helped spur more political momentum right behind the idea that we really do need to have regulations and we can't just rely on voluntary efforts alone. But, you know, people, it, it, you've been around long enough to know there have been efforts like this for over a decade. There was the old long Collins you know, effort in what, 2010, 2012. And that, that failed. Uh, Is this sort of a philosophical agreement or does it go into Trumpism, deep state fears? It's just, they don't want the government telling them to be aware of cyber threats. Jeez. Companies just don't want to have to be told what to do. I mean, it adds more, especially if they have to report back on whether they are conforming, complying with guidelines, rules, that adds costs, you know, regulatory compliance costs. Um, But there's also the argument to be made that because systems, especially industrial control systems, are, are, are so each one of them are different and they're different than the uh, administrative IT regular 
systems that you and I work on, that you can't have a one size fits all uh, set of regs and you shouldn't prescribe so so there's thinking that you should so it's over prescribing right telling them exactly what to do yeah that that's yeah not going to work the idea is rather to say this is the outcome we want you to get to you figure out the best way to get there but you're going to be responsible for hitting that outcome of security makes sense to me i can see uh, uh them uh, thinking some of these utilities or state authorities thinking you're just going to layer a whole bunch of uh, bureaucracy on us, a, re- a requirement to issue this report and that report, right. and it's not really going to enhance our security. Uh, do you get a feeling that the Biden administration is coming up with something better, or are they too busy with everything else? No, I mean, they they have been doing a lot of work in this area, um, you know, including an executive order um, um, on, on cybersecurity and um, especially around with with with, uh, with contractors and making sure that contractors who do work for the government are um, meeting, you know, standards and set there. So they're, they're, and they've been rolling out uh, sector by sector, different efforts there. Okay. You know, like I think I I said in the story that um, after, after Colonial Pipeline, there was an, they did announce a a rule for uh, pipelines. It's still being, it's still being, it's being revised after outcry from industry. But I, but what I hear from industry is that they like the way it's going, so that mm. the end result will probably be a better rule. Um, so different sectors are in at different states of having regulations. The the power electric um, system electricity has had has had rules for 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 a long long time. Um, and I, mm-hmm. they're so complicated. I don't pretend to understand the full system, but well, they're doing maybe it. nobody does, <laughs> and that's the problem. Right. Well, but thanks to reporting uh, from you and some other like-minded, skilled reporters, we you, you brought this problem to the public's attention, and maybe even to uh, important segments of uh, state and local, uh, as well as federal officials. Uh, to uh, this is a, this is a big problem. And it needs to be, it can't be entirely solved, as you suggested, because the adversaries have all these tools and, right. uh, you know, they have, they have sliders and curveballs and fastballs and uh, knuckleballs that they can throw at us and, and it's hard to hit them every time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I, I have a feeling we'll be back talking about this again <laughs> in the not too distant future. So, but anyway, Alan, Thank you so much for your time today and to uh, come in and explain all this complicated stuff to us. And, and, and you, you've thrown out there a few threads of hope that yeah. we're, we're going to get on top of this and defend, defend our, be defending ourselves a little bit better should we get into crunch time with China. Thanks again. Thank you, Jeff. Great being with you. And that's it for this week's Spy Talk. Be sure to check out our complete podcast archive at the MSW Network or on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, do check out the spytalk.co news site on Substack, where we offer a steady diet of scoops and 
Original analyses on the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, and military operations. Just Google Spy Talk or, hey, use AI, and you'll quickly find your way there. This edition of the Spy Talk podcast was smoothly produced, as always, by Kanai and edited by Molly Hawkey for MSW Media. And, oh, by the way, the music you've been hearing? That's the soundtrack for War Games, the iconic 1983 techno thriller which starred Matthew Broderick as a teenage computer hacker who unwittingly accessed the U.S. military supercomputer, triggering a false alarm that threatens to start a life-ending nuclear war. Could never happen here, right? I'm Jeff Stein for Spy Talk. See you around. For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's no surprise that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience. They want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there. But don't let them fool you. Get unspun. I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun because you deserve the truth.